I don't say this a lot um, because sometimes I haven't always liked it when other preachers have said as much, but sometimes we preach a sermon to ourselves, um, and that's totally appropriate. And um, This is one I'm preaching not because I've attained it, but because I need to. Does that make sense? And it's also one that I would say about at least no less than six or seven people really need to hear. And there's probably more than that, but we'll say that's what it is. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. And unlike this morning, we're, we're not going to go too far out of here. So <laughs> you know, we're going to end with one other passage unless something changes. But Jeremiah chapter 17 is what we'll spend this evening together. I want to just read the first, uh, I'm sorry, the fifth and the sixth verse, and then we'll continue on after that. Jeremiah 17, 5 and 6 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. We are reminded in this verse to not trust in man. Right? To not trust in other people. To not put our source of strength in the flesh of someone else. And when we do, we are betrayed, to carry on the theme from this morning, right? Because we put our trust in someone else, and they violate it. What's interesting is I think over and over again, as foolish as it is, we do this repeatedly. Whether it's a politician that we want to put our faith and trust in, and we find out, (laughs) well, that was not a good idea. Or we put our trust and faith in some leader that we might have, whether it's at work or some other place, and we get let down. You might put too much trust and too much faith in your pastor and be let down as well. The point is that we never put any faith in someone, but we can't put our main faith in someone because we're going to be let down. And so thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. And the result is we end up being like a little tiny bush in the middle of the desert. doesn't really get any bigger, just kind of grows stagnant in the salty ground that it's in. And again, I said this is foolish because we know better, but we repeatedly do this over and over again as a society. Well, verse 7 and 8 tells us what we should be doing. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And so rather than put our trust in man, our trust in uh, the flesh of other men, another mankind, we are instead to put our trust in the Lord. And what I think he is trying to tell us is that God will not 
just the opposite of what we just learned. God will not betray us. He will not abandon us. He will not leave us alone. He will not let us down. And when we are anxious, which many of us are, during the drought, and notice you'll said it's a, it's a year of drought. It's not a little short drought. It's a year, right, in this verse. The year of drought, we will not fail to produce fruit even despite the hard times. Why? Because we put our faith in God and not in man. Because when men and other people let us down, it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to have a hard time growing and blossoming and take that small uh, plant that's in the, the rough ground as opposed to the one that has deep roots in Christ that is spreading out looking for that water to nourish it during the hard times. And so we should be connected to the resource that is, in fact, Jesus Christ. And here's the really hard verse. Verse 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the minds to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So maybe you're familiar with the King James translation, which says it, I think, a little bit more beautifully. But it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Or maybe the Amplified Version, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It is extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? This, our heart, is the wickedness that we are not always aware of and don't suspect it to be there. How often do we trust our hearts above everything else? Well, I know this isn't really scientific, but I did a quick Google search. Follow your heart and 0.73 seconds resulted in 4,240,000,000 results. It's a lot. Follow God resulted in 2,680,000,000. So about half. We like to follow our heart. We use that expression all the time in many ways. And in many actualities, we tend to do it. We'll say that we're following our heart when we make decisions about where to move, who to date, who to marry, where to go work. Sometimes we even say as much in the church. And I think sometimes we say that and don't necessarily mean it because hopefully we know the difference between following our own heart and following the spirit, which is not the same thing. But sometimes we'll interchange those words. But the scripture is very clear. It's just as clear as it says, cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Just as clear as it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. It also is just as clear to say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? It's more deceitful above all things. So as bad as we want to think about sometimes politicians or our leaders or others who let us down, the reality is our own very heart is above those things as far as wickedness goes. It leads us into all manner of troubles that we shouldn't be into because we tend to trust it and we are deceived by it. So that word deceitful, it really means apt to supplant. And if you know your scripture, you know that's what Jacob was. He was the supplanter. He was the deceiver. 
And so I want to give pause for just a minute and talk about what it means to be deceitful and why our heart is deceiving us. And specifically, I want to point out that our hearts can deceive us in both directions. Our hearts can deceive us and tell us that what is bad is good. And maybe many of us identify with that. It's okay. Just one little bit of X. Just one little lie. Just one whatever it is that we know we shouldn't do, somewhere that we know we shouldn't be, and we begin to convince ourselves, we allow our hearts to deceive us and think, well, this is wrong, and I know if I'm going to do this, and that's okay. But I want to point out something that I think many need to also hear. It works the other way, too. It can call what is good evil. And I think sometimes as Christians, we fail to realize that it goes both directions. And so if the heart is deceitful above all things, it can certainly try to convince you that doing something wrong is right. But it can also try and convince you that doing what is right is wrong. And so we must be on guard to make sure that we do not fall victim to our deceitfully wicked heart that is almost impossible to understand. And so I ask the question tonight, what is something your heart is telling you that is not true? Maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you're not smart enough, pretty enough, happy enough. You're just not enough. Maybe your heart's telling you the opposite. You're so much better than anybody knows that you are. They just don't see it yet. You see, somehow I think that's what I tend to think about. It's what I tend to preach on. I think it's what most people tend to preach on. But the reality is we struggle as a people with both of these extremes sometimes. Sometimes pride comes, right, and it sneaks in whether I realize it or not. And my heart's like, hey, you know, you got this together. You should do this. You're better than you think you are. You ought to go and tell people how this should be done, et cetera, et cetera, because my mind says those things. But there are other days and other times that my heart will try desperately to convince me and to fool me into thinking that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worth it, that I'm unlovable, that I'm not kind. Fill in the blanks. And this is a problem that we have on both extremes. I've read before and I like to read it. Matthew Henry, I don't have many study tools that I use, but he is certainly one that I do use. I'm a fan of reading anyone who, when you read them, you can tell they've been with God. And you can tell this man's been with God. Because you can read some of his works and just, it's like he just breaks out into preaching with the pen flowing, and it's beautifully written. Matthew Henry. And this may or may not be one of those beautiful parts, but I think it makes some great sense. He says about this verse, talking about the heart and it being deceitful, it says, it cheats men into their own ruin. And this will be the aggravation of it, that they are self-deceivers and self-destroyers. 
Herein the heart is desperately wicked, it is deadly, it is desperate. The case is bad indeed. And in a manner deplorable and past relief or past help, if the conscience which should rectify the error of the other faculties is itself a mother of falsehood, a ringleader in the delusion, what will become of man in him if in him is a false light? In other words, what he is saying is we trust our heart to give us guidance, don't we? We do this all the time through all different things. We have to make a decision about which way to go. And how many times have you heard people or thought yourself, well, just do what your heart tells you to do? What is your heart telling you you should do about this? The problem is, if that's our default, if we are deferring to our heart, but our heart is deceitfully wicked, then we have a serious problem, don't we? Because sometimes when we should back away, the heart says to go forward. And sometimes when we should go forward, the heart tells us to go backwards because it is deceitfully wicked above even asking advice from other people. And so we must be very, very careful when we consider what we should do. And if we're going to it as our sole source for how we should think and how we should act and what we should do and say, we're going to find ourselves in a disaster. And as I said, and I want to make clear, this can be a disaster of arrogance. And it can be a disaster, honestly, of a little too much humility. calls evil good and good evil. And so I ask this question, what is something your heart is telling you that is not true? What's something that your heart is telling you that is not true? In that commentary and in the scriptures, we are seeing that we are describing just how bad the heart is. It's so bad, who can know it? I can't know it. It's what the scripture says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The answer is not me. And we think that we can, right? Because we think our heart's leading us to do X, Y, or Z. Or our heart's telling us to do this or that. But the reality is, our heart may be, and often is, misleading us. And so I can't tell my heart. I can't ask someone for advice and get advice from them because they don't know what my heart is saying to myself, whether it's wicked in this way or not, whether it's telling me to be more prideful or less prideful or be this or to be that. Who can possibly understand it? Because I can't understand it. We cannot know our own hearts. We cannot know our own hearts in the hour of temptation. And that's what Matthew Henry was describing. What a problem we have when in the hour of temptation, we want to turn to what? The only thing we know, our heart and our emotions, and our hearts and our emotions are going to lie to us. If we can't know our own hearts, what do we do? How do we know what to turn aside? How do we know what to do? What is your heart telling you that is not true? So thankfully, in verse 10, we see a partial answer to this. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so here we see at least a partial answer on the days that we can't trust our own hearts, on the days that we don't feel like we're enough, on the days that we are giving ourselves what we don't deserve over and over again 
On the days that we are unwilling to trust ourselves, on the days we are unwilling to love ourselves, on the days we are unwilling to forgive ourselves, we must look to him, the Lord, who searches the hearts and tests the mind and is giving to every man according to his ways. What does it mean to search? It means to examine closely. He is examining our hearts and our minds, and he will lead and guide us in what we should do. We must, as a people, as believers, understand the difference between how my heart feels and how what God is telling me. And this is the part I said, I think I don't do very well with this very often. Sometimes I get in my own mind. It says that he tests it, he tries it, he proves it like a precious metal. You would make sure that what's there is actually what's there. And he rewards it. Again, going back, when we understand that our source and our salvation and everything that we are, that we are blessed, is the man who trusts in the Lord because we can draw on him when the anxieties of the world comes and we will produce fruit, as the verses before says, that no matter how hot it gets, no matter how dry it gets, we can not be anxious, but get our nourishment from God. He rewards us for following after Him, not our own hearts. Now, here's a really hard thing. God alone is the judge of my heart. I certainly can't judge my own heart. Why? Because it's deceitful above all things. And I'll think, well, I'm doing okay. When in reality, maybe I'm not. Or maybe I'm doing okay, but in reality, I judge myself as not doing okay. See, the only way that I can judge the condition of my heart, because it's deceitful above everything else, is to instead lean on Him alone as the judge. And so if the Spirit of God is moving in me, not my heart, not my emotions, but the Spirit of God is moving in me, telling me to do this or to not do that, then I should rely on that. But if He is not, and I'm simply relying on my own emotions, on my own heart, to make decisions about what to do, then I need to realize that my heart is deceitfully wicked. And I need to be very, very careful. He searches, He tests, He rewards. God alone is the judge, not your heart. And how many times and in how many ways have we let our heart condemn us? How many times and how many ways have we let our heart lead us in a way that we only find out later was not the right way? But God is the judge. God is the lead. Our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? Turn with me to 1 Peter. As I said, I'll be here. This will be it. Last time we switch. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 10. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version tonight. I think in the past we've talked about what that is, but I'll skip over that tonight and just read from it. So it might be better than following closely along to, to listen the first time through. First Peter 5, 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, set aside self-righteous pride, so that he may exalt you to place 
to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time. Casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares about you with the deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Be firm in your faith against his attack, rooted, established, immovable, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world, you are not suffering alone. In this passage, I think we see some important attributes of what we are to do. We are to be humble ourselves before the mighty God. We are to be humble. Now, I don't want to stand up here and make broad, sweeping generalizations. But I would dare say we have more people in our church who have too low view of themselves than we do who have too high. And that heart being deceitfully wicked, remember, goes both ways. And I am afraid that we have some people, and on occasion, even your pastor here, will have an unrighteous pride in being humble. I'll think so low of myself that I'm proud of it. You ever experienced that in your life? You ever put yourself down to a point that it becomes pride? Maybe on occasion we have. Maybe frequently we do it. Maybe we put ourselves so low that it becomes as a pride. So if we think about this on a scale, we can certainly do that very easily. But we are not to do that. We are to think appropriately about ourselves. We are to view ourselves as Jesus Christ views us. And that is a duality that I have mentioned before. It is one where he looks at us and sees nothing but his shed blood and sees us as a royal priest, as his children, who will inherit the kingdom of earth and reign forever with him. That's how he sees us the first time. But he also sees us and sees us in reality for who we are, hiding nothing, searching the innermost parts of our heart that we confuse ourselves on. And he will point to us and say, right there needs to change. And over here needs to change. You see, it's the duality of this that we fail to understand. And sometimes we fail to see just how much God loves and cares for us. That he knows the number of the hairs on our very heads. And yet I feel alone sometimes. He knows the very thoughts and intentions of my heart when I can't even understand it. And yet somehow I think I'm not good enough when he knows. 
God knows everything about us. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're doing. And he tests us and rewards us when we do right. And sometimes we allow our hearts to carry ourselves down a path that is so undeserved that we can't even enjoy the rich blessings that he wants to give us, that he died to give us, that he sent his Holy Spirit to commune with us, to give us the support that we so desperately need in such a lost and wicked world, let alone the wickedness of our hearts. That he may exalt you to a place of honor in his service at the appropriate time, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. I don't have to carry this. I don't have to be deceived by my depraved, wicked heart. Because why? Because the Spirit of God lives inside of me. And I can trust Him for my direction and not myself. Because I can ask Him to teach and reprove me, that means correct me, where I need to be corrected, and to lift me up in areas where I need to be lifted up. Why? Because He cares for you with a deep affection and watches over you very carefully. I said I wasn't going anywhere else, but let me just read this verse. It's just one. Psalm 55 and 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, release it, and He will sustain and uphold you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Boy, if that was easy, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Just somehow like pick it up and drop it off to God. Cast your burden on God and release it, and He will sustain and uphold you. The problem that I see over and over again in my life is that I have a burden, I have a task, I have things that I feel like I have to do, some of which I do and others I don't. But anytime I have this burden, it's like I want to take it halfway off and like help God carry it. That doesn't work. It only works if we cast the burden, if we take it off, release it, and let Him who will sustain us and uphold us and will never allow us to be shaken, never allow us to fall or to slip. But I want to do it for Him. I want to halfway do it. And sometimes, you go back to my deceitfully wicked heart, that comes down to an actual issue of pride or an issue of doubt for Him. I know you said you could do it, but let me help you a little bit. I know you got this, but you don't know all the details. Now, this sounds absolutely insane, doesn't it? But it's the reality. How could God not know the situation as well as I do? It's impossible. How could God not be able to take the burden that I think that I have to carry and relieve me from it and still make everything work? The one who made everything, yeah, he can do that. The one who loves us enough to sacrifice his only son, yes, he will do that. And yet I want to carry this on my own, and I want my heart to somehow convince me that I'm okay. Cast your burden on the Lord, release it, and he will sustain and uphold you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken, to slip, to fall, or to fail. Be sober, 
And in parentheses, in the Amplified, it says, well-balanced and self-disciplined. The number of times I have tried to do that on my own, right? To be well-balanced and self-disciplined. I can't do it on my own. I'm not made to do it on my own. And if I follow my own heart, it's deceitfully wicked, I'm going to do it wrong every single time. I'll be unbalanced. I'll be undisciplined. And I'll not be sober in the way that this means. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. Now again, I just want to pause and make sure this is as clear as I can possibly make it. Many of us have read this verse, have heard this verse, and when we think about it, we think about the sins that the devil wants to entice us into. Now, we could list any number of them, and maybe you've experienced any number of them. But for some of us, the things that the enemy wants to entice us into, the thing the enemy can prowl around and whisper in your ear and confuse your heart are endless. That's how I started. You're not good enough. You're not happy enough. You're not wealthy enough. You're not, you're not, you're not. And the enemy, your enemy, my enemy, our enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Why would he have to worry about getting us up into some major sin and we've got our heart so tied in knots that we don't know which end is up when we can't trust ourselves and we have no faith in ourselves and we have no faith in Jesus maybe there is no need to dangle some appetizing sin in front of us because we're already losing that battle because we've listened to our heart the answer is in verse 9 but resist him be firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. There is no temptation that you are experiencing that someone else hasn't. Your heart that's deceitfully wicked, that's trying to trick you into thinking something that isn't true, is trying to do the same trick to other people. And so what that should tell us and bring us comfort in is to know that there are others of us out here who are going through a very similar thing. And we together, looking unto the Lord, should move ahead knowing that our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And so when you come to me and say, well, this is what's going on in my life, and I'm sitting here going, yeah, well, that sounds really familiar to me. The answer is for us to move together. Neither one of us trusting in our hearts, neither one of us trusting in each other, but instead trusting in the Lord, you see. That's why it's so important that we are together, that we are a body of believers who know each other, who love each other, who serve each other, who encourage each other, who help us to be alert and looking for the enemy that wants to take us down. And how sometimes we have to go to another brother or sister, and I almost think it would be easier to walk up to somebody and say, hey, brother so-and-so, you have a drinking problem and you have to stop. 
It'd almost be easier to do that than to walk up and say, hey, brother so-and-so, you don't value yourself the way God does, and you need to stop. You see where I'm going with this? It may sound like pride, but that's not what I'm talking about. We should resist the devil. We don't, we don't get to really fight. We just have to stand and resist. We have to see ourselves for who God sees us. Forgiven children. Fallen yet forgiven. Never perfect. Never always walking the path that we should, but always striving, always making an effort. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the world. I like how Amplified ends it in parentheses. You do not suffer alone. What is something your heart is telling you that is not true? Write it down. If something came to your mind, write it down. Let the Lord speak to you. Let him guide you. Let him work in you. What is the enemy holding over you? The enemy is seeking to devour you. Sometimes it's really easy. to Just let our heart do its job to deceive us, to trick us, to fool us, to steal our joy, the joy that only comes from him. This is not a self-help sermon. This is not a three or five steps to a better you. That's a bunch of garbage. The answer is him. Looking unto him, the author and finisher and perfecter of our faith. It's not looking at ourselves. That's the difference. And that's the hard part. And none of what I have said to you today have I mastered at all. But just because I haven't mastered it doesn't mean I don't know the answer. Does that make sense? We should all know the answer. We should all seek to follow him not our hearts. And when we feel whatever it is that we think we feel, we must be very cautious about following our heart. And instead, we should follow him. Just as I said by the numbers, society is twice as likely to follow him. (laughs) We need to be the opposite. We need to follow him more than we follow our hearts. And we need to remember that above everything, our heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? The only one who can is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity for us to stand here today. Lord, I pray that you would help me to realize these things in my own heart and in my own way. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us where our heart is lying to us where our heart is trying to deceive us. Maybe we are too prideful and we need to be brought low by you. Maybe we have such a low image of ourselves and need to be brought high. Maybe when we think we are failing, we are instead winning because we are relying on you as we should. 
And maybe when we think we're winning, we're actually losing because we're relying on ourselves. You see, the only way to know any of this for certain is to seek you out in your face to rely on you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do that this week. Help us to seek after you. Help us to listen to your spirit, not to our deceitfully wicked hearts. And Lord, if that means we need encouragement, then encourage us, please. If that means we need chastisement, then do that as well. But whatever it means, Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek after you, to trust you with all of our heart, and to love you with our heart, soul, strength, and mind, so that we can follow after you. In your name we pray. Amen.